I'm just excited about what God is doing in the earth. You know, isn't it exciting just to, I don't know, to get on Facebook even more and even just see all this kind of stuff. You just keep seeing the Asbury Revival and the Asbury Revival and the Asbury Revival. And then you see all these other places that are popping up all around the nation, all these schools and all these universities, elite university and all these different ones. And, and it's just nice. It's nice to see that. And, and God's moving all over the world. Um, we were, got a chance to go to a circuit rider event, Carry the Love at Appalachian. On Friday night, there were 260 kids there. Man, and it just, it was simple. Man, it was so simple. Just a, a guitar, a couple of singers, and a hand drum. But man, the presence of God was so strong. Man, it was so strong. And even last night, Jillian, she's back in Sweden again. She got there, um, I don't know, a couple of days ago. And really large venue. And looked like from uh, the way, it looked like it was completely packed. So there was like a busload of people that drove from seven hours to get there. And she's like, she's six hours ahead of us. So she sent us um, a message, like 11 o'clock their time. And she's like, I don't know when we're going to stop worshiping. Like there's so, there's such hunger. I don't know when we're going to stop. And so she finally said like after midnight, they finally got done worshiping. And so man, God is just, he's moving, right? And so God do it here. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and ask your forgiveness now. So go ahead and extend forgiveness to me. This may go a little longer than normal. So forgive me uh, for that. I've got a lot to say, but I promise you, I promise you this. If you'll lean in to what I have to say today, I guarantee you, you'll get something out of this. This message is for everyone. And, I'll be, and if you can get through this message today and you're like, I excel in every single thing you talked about today. Now, I want you to come up to me after church because I want you to disciple me because I am not excelling in any of this. And so this message, um, I want to talk today about what love looks like. And honestly, this is really, this is, I'm just letting you in on a conversation that's been an ongoing conversation now for the past several weeks between me and the Father. Almost everything I'm going to say today has come directly from him. It's things that he has spoke to me. And so these are things that I'm growing and I'm, I am so far removed from what love looks like, I feel. I feel like the deeper I get into this, the less I know what love really is. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, every single year we ask God, say, God, what, what's your word for us for this upcoming year? And he always gives us something. It's usually some kind of insight. It's something he wants us to focus on. And so this year it was um, that he was establishing deeper and stronger foundations in our lives. So I don't think it's coincidental that he starts talking to me at the beginning of the year about love. Right? There's no greater foundation in our life than love. Love is the absolute foundation, the cornerstone of everything we build our life upon. There's no greater revelation that you and I can have in the love of God. How much you and I are absolutely radically and passionately loved by God. It is, it is the cornerstone of everything in our life. Without that truth, without that revelation... Honestly, you're not going to be very successful in the Christian life. And so if you have a hard time understanding the love of God, I encourage you to dig into the Word. Because it's there. Like, God's not going to do anything more than what He's already done. It's all laid out through Scripture. Everything about the love of God is there. If we just dig in and get inside of it, and we'll be radically changed by God's love for us. But that's not really what God's been talking to me about. And that's not really what I want to talk to you about today either. What God's been talking to me about is what it looks like to love others really well. You know, we're in a world today that has no clue what love is. 
They have no idea what love is at all. They're, they're going after all these other things, and they're just perversions of what love is. And what people conceive as love today is so far removed from biblical love. It's so far removed from the true love of God. But who has the answers? We do, right? We have the answer of what this world needs when it comes to love. We have the love of God inside of us. And so we have to go. It's our job. It's our commission to go and to carry the love to every single person around us. That's what you and I are created to do. Unfortunately, I think the church, sadly enough, has, has actually not shown the world very much love at all. We've done a fantastic job of showing the world what we hate. And we've done a fantastic job of showing the world what we despise and what we don't like. And I get it, like it's all in the name of, you know, we, we, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And I, I get that. That's true. We hate sin. But honestly, in my own life, and I think and I, when I say church, I'm, just, I'm, I'm making general statements. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. Just the church as a whole, we've hated sin, but I don't think we've really loved the sinner a whole, a whole lot more than that. Yeah. Like we have not shown the world what love looks like. And the Bible's really clear. It says, how will the world know that we're Christians? By our love for one another. Right? That's, that's the standard. That's the marking point of how this world will know that you and I are actually believers is how well we love each other and how well we love the world. And so I'm going to ask you the same question that God's been asking me. What are you doing to show love? Because love has to look like something. I'll be real honest with you. I'm not here to encourage you today. I'm here to provoke you. I'm here to challenge you, and I'm here to wake up something that has gone dormant in so many of us. What does the Bible say? It says, in the end, the love of many will grow cold, right? And sadly, that has happened in, in my life, and I think a life of a lot of the church. So that's what I want to talk about today. But want, before we get started, I want to read a scripture to you. This is 1 John 2, 6, a very short and simple verse. It says, those who slay, say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So honestly, one of the very first things that God began to talk to me about in this area of love, and I know this seems really simple and like a no-brainer, but Jesus is our standard in everything, right? And here's what he began to show me in my own life, is I, I take my life and I look at my life, and I take the scriptures, I take the gospels, and I look at the life of Jesus, and they look so different from one another. I look at what Jesus did, and I read through the gospels, I'm like, there's no way. My, my life looks nothing like that at all. And so what happens, I start making all these excuses and all these compromises because I feel like I can never live up to the standard of Jesus. And so it's not that I'm, I'm backslidden. It's not that I'm not trying. It's just all of a sudden where Jesus is the standard here, I begin to look at the standard of maybe, like I begin to look at the world. Or I begin to look at other Christians and I see, well, I'm doing just as good as they are, maybe even better. And so rather than the standard being right here of Jesus, what I've done is I've taken it here. And all of a sudden my life looks really good because no longer Jesus isn't the standard any longer. So when it comes to this area of love, Jesus, and it's not just love, it's every Jesus has to be our standard in everything. He is the plumb line. He is the measuring stick. And so we look at the life of Jesus. If my life does not look like that, it's not kingdom. If my life does not look like that, then I have to do the job and the work of raising it up to where I look just like Jesus. Because here's what it says. If we're going to live in him, 
that our life should look like his life. So he did everything. He did everything as a man. That's hard to believe sometimes, you know? He did every single thing as a man. But it's the truth. He did every single thing as a man, completely submitted, filled with God, so that he can show us that it's possible. We just sang this song, anything is possible. So we look at the area of love, and as I go through, loving the world is possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. Uh, So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I know it was just Valentine's, and this is not a Valentine message. It's purely coincidental that I'm speaking this week, um, but this has nothing to do with Valentine's. This has nothing to do with marriage. This has nothing to do with relationships. Not that these can't exist within 1 Corinthians 13, but I don't, I honestly, I don't, can't think of a time I've heard 1 Corinthians talked about in a, in a service outside of like a wedding or outside of relationships or outside of marriage. But man, this chapter is so much bigger and so much broader than just relationships. It's so much bigger than just marriage. It's so much bigger than just relationships. This, this whole entire chapter is showing us who God is. Right? First John 4. To me, the most, three most amazing words of all of Scripture. God is love. So we can take 1 Corinthians 13, and, and everywhere we see the word love, we actually could replace that for God because it's who God is. So God, he didn't create love. He didn't invent love. It is who he is. Every idea that we get from love, we see in God. He is the, exact, he is the ex- full expression of what love is. Everything he does is out of love. There's nothing in his life that he does that is not moved and motivated by love. God is love. So let's read. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 13. We're into the first seven verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give my body over to hardships that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. It, do, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, and love always perseveres. And we made on verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So this whole entire chapter is showing us who God is, how he relates to you and I, how God relates to the world. Honestly, this whole entire chapter shows us how we are supposed to relate to one another and to the world around us. You know, not only that, this verse actually shows us who Jesus is as well. You know, in Hebrews 1, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Then in John 14, Jesus' disciples, they come to him and they say, Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And we all know what he says. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If we want to know what God looks like, we just go through the Gospels because Jesus is the exact representation. He is the exact picture of who God is. So God is love. Jesus is love. And guess what? If we're in him, Jesus lives in us. We're, we're in him. So guess what? That makes us love. Right? 
God is love, Jesus is love, and I'm love. We're love. And everywhere that Jesus went, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is the kingdom of God. So Jesus is the culture of heaven. And if Jesus is love, that means the whole entire culture of heaven is rooted and grounded in love. So if we want to know what heaven looks like, then we look at Jesus. And it's rooted and grounded in love. So what the Lord began to show me is 1 Corinthians 13 is so much bigger than relationships. It actually becomes this blueprint from heaven of how we're supposed to live our lives. It's this blueprint from heaven of what love's supposed to look like. It's what our lives are supposed to look like with one another and with the world around us. This is not a natural love, right? There is nothing in my flesh, there is nothing in your flesh that can ever produce this. That's why the world has it wrong. They're they're trying to produce this love, and it's from their flesh. But our flesh can never do what 1 Corinthians 13 says. It is supernatural. This is a supernatural grace that comes upon us. But the good part about this is we're supernatural, right? You and I are supernatural right now. If you did not know that, you are supernatural right now. The day you said yes to Jesus, we passed over from natural to supernatural. The supernatural is not something that happens to us. It doesn't come on us. It's who we are right now. Because we're supernatural right now, that means we can love this way. Does it mean it's going to be easy? No, it is not. But it's possible because it's this supernatural grace that comes upon us. And not only that, we see that, that it's a fruit, right? Love is a fruit, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That means it's actually already been deposited inside of me as a seed. The day you and I were born again, we became natural, from supernatural to supernatural, and then the seed of love was planted inside of me. So what's our job now? It's to cultivate the garden of our heart so that love begins to grow. And actually begins to grow where it becomes this large and abundant love-producing tree so that everywhere I go, you need some love, here you go. You need some hope, here you go. I, I got all you need. You need some patience. You need some kindness. You need all of this that love is. I've got this massive tree because I've done the work of cultivating love in my life to where everywhere I go, it's easy. I just pick it off and give it to you. But Joey, what happens when you neglect a seed? doesn't grow, it dies, right? But we have this supernatural seediness that'll never die, but it can go dormant. Right? When we don't cultivate the seed of love in our life, the fruit of love in our life, it'll, it'll just go dormant. It'll begin to not produce anything. And so praise God it doesn't die. Praise God it's, it's always in there. It's just our job to cultivate, cultivate it. All right, let's look at this word love. We, I, think, I know you guys have all heard this. In the Greek, four different words that are used for love. Uh, there's eros. It's an erotic love. It's the love between a husband and a wife. Uh, there's storge. It's, the, it's a family love. It's the love between siblings. It's the love between a, a parent and a child. And then there's philea. It's where we get Philadelphia from. It, it's, it's brotherly love. It's what you and I share with one another. And there's this last word, and this is anytime you see God represented in the Bible, you see the word love and God together, it's agape. And I think it's really cool that Pastor Ryan is the the network that they're going to have over in Africa. It's going to be the agape network. 
It is the strongest, highest form of love. It is who God is. God is a agape. So I want to read you this. This is a, such a, a, I don't know if this even does it justice. As I read this, I want you to listen because you can see God all over this. Agape is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is a love so great that can be given to the unlovable or the unappealing. It is a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. And it can be defined as sacrificial, giving, and absorbing kind of love. This word has little to do with emotion, but it has more to do with self-denial for the sake of another. Can you not see God all over that? That is the essence of who God is. And that's what this whole entire chapter is describing. This is who God is. And this is who that we're being called into because this is who God is. This is who Jesus is, and Jesus is our standard. Look at these first three verses. The first three verses, 100% about the motivation of our heart. Everything in life has to start and end in love. That's one thing the Lord has, has just really over and over and over and over again. God, Mark, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you get up in the morning and pray? Why do you get up in the morning and read the word? Why do you come to, why do you come to church and worship? Is it out of a place, a true place of love? Because if it's not according to 1 Corinthians, it doesn't mean anything. So verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I like easy and I like, I like practical. So let me give you a practical apl- application for this. I can wake up tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. I can pray in tongues for an hour. But if the whole entire time was not motivated by love, I was a noise to heaven. Or that's what it says. I'm, I'm a clanging gong or a crashing cymbal. Because so much of that, at least in my own life, so much of that can be out of this place of striving. It can be out of this place of work. If I don't do that, if I don't do this, if I don't get up and I don't spend an hour praying in tongues, then, then my day is not going to be what it needs to be. And, and the Father's not going to love me like, like he should. And all these people that I'm interceding for, they're not going to get what they need if, if I, I, I. So if this whole entire time that I'm not being motivated by love, my motivation in love for the Father and my motivation for the people that I'm praying and interceding for, then it means nothing. Honestly, it was just as beneficial for me to spend that hour sleeping because I'm this noise right now because it's not motivated by love. Honestly, it would be way better for me to take 5, 10, 15 minutes and let my, the true motivation of my heart be that of love rather than doing just this religious duty that I think that I need to do to get something. Motivation is key in everything. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecies and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Another practical application of this. I can get up here, I can give every single one of you a prophetic word. But if the motivation of my heart was not to bless you and was not for your good, but it was about, look at Mark. Man, I wish I could prophesy the way Mark prophesies. God, I wish I could hear Mark, uh, God, the way Mark hears him. If that's the motivation in my heart, you may have been blessed. It may have been super accurate. 
But it meant nothing for me in my account because it wasn't rooted and grounded in love. Motivation is the key in everything. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. I can pray for every sick person in here. Whatever your mountain is, I can pray and see it completely gone. But if the motivation and the desire of my heart is more that, man, I wish I, wish I, I, wish I had power like that. Man, I wish I could see people get healed the way Mark sees people get healed. Because I'm saying when you're doing this stuff, you've got to watch because your ego can get super involved in this. You're, you're, you can get super puffed up, especially when you start to get pats on the back from people. But if that's the motivation behind what I'm doing, again, it, it counts as nothing. So a motivation behind what we do. Honestly, the Lord showed me, he said, the, the why behind how you love is more important than the how you love. Everybody gets that? The motivation behind what I actually do is, is more important than what I'm actually doing. If I, if I give all that I possess to the poor... I give my body over to hardships that I may boast. It means nothing. A real simple practical application. I can go on a mission trip to Uganda. I can serve the orphans and the pastors and do all these things. And if it's not purely based and grounded in love, then it may have been good. I may have had a good time. But if it's not motivated and rooted and grounded in love, then it means nothing. And, and, I, and I've, I've thought, like, well, how in the world can you do all these things and not be motivated by love? And then the whole verse, honestly, it's one of these verses, you, know, you have these verses in the Bible, like, you just never understand. You know, you're like, oh, I don't know what that means. So that whole verse where Jesus um, is talking about Judgment Day, and all these people are standing before him, and they're giving off all these accolades of all the things they did. Jesus, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not... Heal the sick. Do we not prophesy? Do we not do all these things in your name? And I was like, well, how in the world can they do all these things in his name? And he says, I never knew you. Like, I understand it now. Because if, if what I'm doing, if what you and I are doing is not completely rooted and motivated by love, it means nothing. So what if these people that are standing before God at the end of judgment day, they, they did all these great things. Right, the Bible says, I mean, they says we did all these things in your name. What if the reason he didn't know them was because they didn't love? They, they lived their whole entire lives without loving. To me, this is like really dangerous. This is a dangerous place to be for us. Because I, mean, I can be super anointed and not have one ounce of love in my heart. Right? It's, it's a dangerous, that's why the motivation, that's why these three verses are so critical and key in our life, is what I do. Honestly, I've had to battle this all this week, this right here. Jesus, let my motivation be about you guys and about what I can give to you rather than anybody coming up and saying, man, that, that was great, or patting me on the back, because I don't want it to be about that. So honestly, God, get all of that out of my heart. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want this to fulfill any need in my life. I wanted to be truly out of the love for everyone else. Amen? And that's why this message of identity that Pastor Ryan has been preaching over the past several weeks is key and critical to our life. Because the more our life can be, our identity, our life can be rooted in his love, then the easier it is for us to move out of love. Right? And I think this is why Jesus spent so much time in prayer. 
You know, he, he would go before he started his day, he would go to the mountain, he'd pray all night long. Honestly, I, I really, now I know this wasn't all of it, and I really think a lot of what he was doing was, Father, give me your heart for the people I'm going to be ministering to today. Father, help me to see them like you see them. Because if I can see them like you see them, and if I can have your heart towards them, then I know that I can love them. And it's no different for us today. If we can get the heart of God for one another, if we can begin to see one another the way that he sees each us, the way he sees us and each other, then it makes loving people a lot easier. All right? All right, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. All right. You guys getting this? Everybody good? Uh, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. These are two action words. You know, love always produces action. Always. You cannot have love without some sort of action. 1 John 3, 8. This is the Passion Translation. It says, Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. Love always, always, always produces action. Ephesians 4, 2. It says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Going back to love is patient and kind, in the footnotes of the Passion Translation, it says, this could also read that love patiently endures mistreatment. Do we not see that modeled in the life of Jesus over and over and over and over and over again? I mean, he was mistreated. He was misunderstood. His own family said he was crazy. It's a thing we never see at all. He moves in complete patience. And do you ever see him once retaliate? Do you ever see Jesus ever lose his cool? I mean, I, mean, I, know, I know he lost it with righteous anger and indignation towards the Pharisees, but that was actually anger that was trying to move them to righteousness. But we never see Jesus losing his cool. Right, we see him on the cross, and what does he say? I mean, he, he, tells, he tells Pilate, I could call an army of angels right now to deliver me if I, if I wanted to. But this loving, patient kindness, what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. They know what they do. Like, what if we were people that were so patient that we never lost our cool? What if we were parents that were so patient that we never lost it with our kids? Like, what if we, as a church, like we were so patient that no matter what, Anyone ever said about us? Like we never retaliated, but we just what patient love is. It's long-suffering love. But this word is so much more than about mistreatment, right? Patience is, is not just the ability to overcome mistreatment. Do you know that Jesus was never inconvenienced? Like never once. Like he was never inconvenienced once. Do you know that the Father has, you've never inconvenienced God? There's never been a time that you have, you have ever inconvenienced God. There's never been a time where he has not been patient with you and me. I've come to God over stuff hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of times. And there's never once been like, God's been like, Jesus, you got to take over. I can't, I, throw my, I can't handle it. I can't handle it anymore. He's just not getting it. Jesus, you got to take over because I can't do this anymore. That's ridiculous to think about, isn't it? What happened if we, we were never inconvenienced by anyone? 
What happens if, if the patience, the patient love of God, that person that you just have a hard time with, they call, and instead of letting it go into voicemail, you actually pick up and you start talking. It's like practical love, right? What happens if we live that way? Man, what, what, what could happen to the world around us if we'd actually be patient with people? All right, verse 4. Love is kind. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. That Jesus was the kindest person that has ever lived and will ever live. The Bible, what, what does the Bible say that leads us to repentance? It is his, it is his anger. His anger leads me to repentance. His wrath leads me to repentance. It's his kindness that leads me to repentance. I was looking at this this past week, and the Lord kind of came out of nowhere, and he just dropped something in me. You know, we, we live in the South, right? Kindness and hospitality is our thing. Like We're known for it everywhere we go. So I'm studying this, and Jesus asked me this question. He says, Mark, are you being biblically kind, or are you being cordial? I was like, I don't know, Lord. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Because I don't know about you, but I, when I was raised, like you were, you were just nice to everyone, right? If an adult spoke to you, you spoke back. If someone wanted to shake your hand, you, you shook it back. And if you didn't, then there would be pretty serious consequences, at least, at least for me. And so we've grown up. Like, this is just what we do in the South. Like, we're, we're nice to people. Are you okay if I give you guys some practical stuff? Like, you guys okay with that? Like, um, uh, I just like to do that. So let me give you this practical example of my life. Um, I don't think they'll ever listen to this. Uh, so my boss's wife... I'll just be honest with you, I don't like her very much. Just be totally honest. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm praying. I'm, I'm praying God change my heart. But you know, there's never been once I haven't been cordial with her. I mean, if you were to say, is Mark kind to you? He would say, absolutely. Oh, yeah, he is. I mean, you always ask about whatever. But it's not kindness. If, I, if I'm really nice to you right here, if, if Laura is... My boss's wife, and I'm having good interaction with her. But as soon as she leaves, I'm calling, Lord, can you believe Sally was just here? Ugh, gosh, she makes me so sick. Ugh. Like, is that kindness? Was I cordial? I was. Absolutely, I was. Like, she would never know unless she listened to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, but so here's what the Lord, um, if you don't know this already, the Lord will set you up with stuff to teach you. And so Laura and I are going to a vendor event in Nashville uh, this week. My boss never comes to this stuff, ever. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to go to this. I'm like, what? I'm like, is, is Sally coming? He's like, yeah, she'll be there. I'm like, what? Oh, nuts. <laughs> uh, and, and, there's, there's, and I will say there is a, a whole entire backstory that I'm not going to go into right now of why I don't really, God changing my heart. I'm, I'm going to confess this right now. I love her very much. She is one of my most favorite people in the world. I'm going to make that confession right now. Um, yeah, I'm going to decree. <laughs> um, but there is a whole backstory why I have a hard time with her. Um, and for those of you that know it, you know, like it's somewhat justified. And so, um, 
But the Lord began, honestly, he, he's talked very sternly to me last week. He said, do you know, Mark, I set this up. He said, you've held on to this thing for the past eight years, and it is time for you to give, give it up. It is time for you to start loving her and honoring her. It's because it's really easy for me to be cordial. I, I could not like Laura at all. But, but she'll never know that, honestly, because I was raised to where I can have interactions with her. She and I can talk. We can be cordial. I can be nice. And then as soon as she leaves, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm like, God, can you believe what Laura Taylor said? Oh, God. She never, like, we live our lives that way. Like, unfortunately, like, this is how we live our lives. And, and we think we're being kind. Like, honestly, I, this thought has never crossed my mind that I'm not being kind. Am I being cordial? Yes, I am. Absolutely. But there's no biblical kindness in me when it comes to her. So yet we see Jesus model kindness over and over and over and over and over again. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. What does his disciples want to do? He wanted to they send them off, right? People have been with him for three days. They didn't eat anything. The disciples are like, eh, I don't care. Let them go home. What are we going to do about it? But Jesus moved with compassion and kindness. He says, we're, we're going to feed them. What do you have? Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. Like Jesus did not have to do anything at all. He did not have to. Jesus, out of kindness, stepped in and intervened. I mean, there's a story after story after story of what true kindness looks like. And honestly, most of us are not living that way. Kindness is not easy. I mean, it's easy to be kind to our family. It's easy to be kind to those people that we like. But Jesus says, oh, what, what good is that if you just do that? Even sinners do that. Sinners can be nice to their family. So what good is that if you can do? whoopity do, As Ryan would say. <laughs> um, God's calling us into something greater in this area of kindness to where we move past just being cordial and really showing true biblical kindness. That's why we have these whole entire like random acts of kindness day. Like what if we made this not a day, but it's our lifestyle? Like, what if, what, if, what if kindness was our lifestyle? Everywhere we went, we, went, we showed kindness. I don't know about any of you, but there's never been a time in my life where my love and kindness has led somebody to repentance. Like, no one's ever gotten saved because I was overly kind to them. Because honestly, the truth and reality is, me being really open and honest, like, I haven't been that kind to most people. To where they've seen the true love and kindness of God come out of me. But today is a new day, right? All right. But we see, we see this modeled in Jesus over and over and over. His whole entire life was marked in kindness. And if Jesus is going to be our standard, then we have to as well. Right? We, we, can, we can no longer live here. We have to move up here to where Jesus is at because he's our standard and anything is possible. It's possible to be kind. It's absolutely possible to be kind. I know, I know you guys do it so well. You're, you're way better than I am when it comes to that. And so, uh, But God's calling us to something even greater. Uh, the next few verses, it, it tells us what love isn't. I'm not going to go over those. Um, you can go home. I, I encourage you to go study, meditate on this whole entire chapter. I want to look at verse 7. Uh, the NIV, it says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Uh, I really like the way the New King James has this. It says that love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things and endures all things. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. I begin to read verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I'm like, my life personally, like this has got to be one of the hardest verses in the whole entire Bible. Because all, you know, the last time I checked, all is all, right? No matter if it's Greek, no matter if it's English, all is all. So our standard is we're to contend and come alongside everyone in all things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That is not easy. Not easy or whatever. That's why I think this is honestly, probably, to me personally, one of the hardest verses. But at the same time, one of the most rewarding verses if, if we can do this well. If we can do this really, really well, what would happen to the world around us? What would happen to our, our neighbors, our relatives, our coworkers, whoever? What would happen if we could begin to do just like this? Charles Spurgeon, he said, these are the four difficulties and the four triumphs of love. What would happen, though, if we begin to bear all things with people? What would happen if we really begin to carry one another's burdens? What would that look like? I mean, what, what could tra- change around us if we begin, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to come alongside of you no matter what. And it's not to the people that we really like and love because that's easy, right? I can come along my family no problem. Well, some family. <laughs> some family. Some family. We're, we all have those, right? Some family. Um, what happened if even those family members that mm, I don't know about, what happened if I actually came alongside? You know, I'm, I'm, I love you, and I'm going to help bear whatever this is with you. What would happen to them? Maybe that's when we could see our kindness lead them to repentance. And what if, like God, I said, we were never inconvenienced by anyone? What if we prayed this prayer, God, I, I give you permission to inconvenience me as much as you want? And it's not out of this place of, look at me, it's out of this place, I want to love so well. But it doesn't matter if Joey calls me at 2.30 in the morning. Like I love him so much, and I'm going to come alongside and bear that, that whatever he needs, I'm going to do. Like what happens if we could really live that way? What happens if we could believe all things? The Passion Translation says we believe the best about everyone. What would happen if we could actually walk that way? Like it would kill criticism in our life, right? Because I can't be critical about you and believe the best about you at the same time. But it's super easy for me to criticize every single thing about your life because it's hard to believe the best about you. It's hard to believe the best about the people in our lives that have, that have done the same stupid stuff over and over and over again because it's one of those, like, I told you so. Another funny practical story. I don't do this very often, and so I'm not like Ryan. I, he, he probably tops it out, and he does it. It's perfect on Sunday morning. I, I, gotta, I run through this two or three times just to make sure I'm not going to stumble over my words, and, and it helps me. And So this is funny. God, there kind of, he kind of. Kind of rebuked me a little bit. I was, I was at work. I went in early one day, and I'm, I'm actually I'm kind of preaching to myself. And I come to this part where love believes the best about people. And I come, and I come to this one part of the store, and it's a mess. And I'm like, oh, they never clean. Oh, my gosh, they never. And the God, and he stops me. He's like, are you going to love them or not? Because love always believes the best about people. 
So I, reprint, I reprinted pretty quick. <laughs> what happened if we could do that with one another? What happens if we could, that family member, that friend, that coworker, whatever it is, they just can't seem to get their life straight? What happens if we could actually start to begin to believe the best about them? And not see the worst, not see how they always mess up and how they keep stumbling over the same things over and over and over and over and over again. Actually, you know, I, I believe they're coming out of that. It may, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next month, but I believe that they're coming out of that because I'm choosing to believe the best about them. I'm choosing to break the back of criticism off of my life and to start believing the best about every single person I come in contact with. What would happen, church, if we could begin to live like that? I think some change, things would change, right? What would happen... If we believe the best about our politicians. Ooh, come on, yeah. What happened? What would happen? What happened? It's not easy, right? None of this is easy. None of this is easy at all. What happens if we, we could have some hope about our politicians? What if we never lost hope that God wanted to move in Washington? What if we never lost hope that our prodigal family members are actually going to come home? What if we never lost hope that that person we've been praying for for the past 20 years is actually, actually going to get saved? What would happen? How would it change our prayer life? Like if I never lost hope in Valerie, then all of a sudden I began to, I began to engage with Valerie because I'm not losing hope. Like what would happen if we could do that? What could happen if we could really live that way? I can see how these things, if we can start to live this way, it is this triumphant place of love. Is it difficult? Yes, absolutely it is. But Jesus is our standard, and this is exactly how Jesus loves us. This is exactly how God loves you and I. This is the love that he shows to us every single day of our life and will. When God sees you and I, he's not looking at my past. He's not even looking at my present. God sees me through the lens of destiny. That's why he can believe the best about me. That's why he can come along and he can bear all things with me. That's why he never loses hope in me. Because he's not seen today. He's not seen yesterday. He's seen 20 years from now who the mark will be 20 years from now. There's, there's no timeline with God. He's outside of it. If it takes me 20 years to get this, it's nothing for him. What would happen if we begin to live this way? What would happen if we could endure all things with one another? What happens if, if, if I come alongside Joey and Joan because I know they're having some issues and some problems, and I come along and I begin to endure that with them? What would happen? What happened to them? What happened to our relationship? I could grow, right? If I can show them that I'm, I'm coming alongside them, I'm going to endure all these things with you. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to be there. I'm going to endure it. Like it's a whole other type of love that most of us honestly, well, I can't say most, I'm not used to. I have to say, maybe you guys are. I know, I know, some, I know some of you guys are. I see your lives. What would happen if we could live that way? All right. I just want to honor someone real quick. You know, when I look at someone's life, and like, who's doing this really well? David Mark Gillespie does this better than any other person I know. I just have to honor him. I've, I've never met anybody like him. Never met anybody like him that loves the way he loves. My gosh. I want, to, I want to be just like him. He is my hero in the area of love. Man, he loves so well. My goodness, my goodness. So, join in real quick. All right, last thing. You guys good? Like five more minutes. You guys good? All right. I'm going to read the uh, last verse, a verse we know really, really well, John 14, 12. Truly I tell you, 
Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And we charismatics, we love this verse. We love it. Man, all the, all the powerful things I'm going to do, Jesus raising the dead and casting out devils and healing the sick, I can do that and I can do even greater. Yeah! Have you ever considered this in the, in the context of love? Like I can do, I can love just as well as Jesus loved. Because we, we love, honestly, we love the big flashy power gifts. We love that. We, we love to do it. I mean, I'm not saying like we, we shouldn't. Those, those things are good. But what if we looked at this verse in the context of love? That I can love just like Jesus loves. And not only that, I can actually love greater than Jesus. So it says, love is shown when a man would lay down his life for one another. Right? What happens if we begin to lay down our lives for one another? Well, if we actually took Jesus serious in this, what would it look like? You know, one of the things that the Lord began to show me, you know, signs and wonders in the miraculous, that's easy. I'm not saying it's necessarily easy to get to the place where you're seeing that happen, but it's easy. It doesn't cost me anything. See, Debbie can be sick, and she can come up here, and I can pray for her. And if she gets sick, great. If she doesn't, I don't really lose any sleep over it. Like it didn't cost me anything. Like there can be someone in your in your life that you're just praying for over and over and over. If they get great, if they get better, that's awesome. But if they don't, like it doesn't. I'm not going to lose sleep over that. So I, I can prophesy over over Laura, and it can be really accurate or it could be not. Like I'm not going to lose any sleep. It has not cost me anything. Like I may be a little bit embarrassed by it that it didn't happen, but it doesn't cost me anything. But you know what does cost? For me to take that, that family member that I'm having a really hard time with, and I say, hey, can we go out to lunch? I, I just want to buy you lunch, and I want to take some time and just to love on you. Maybe you don't tell them that because they might not come. But your whole motivation behind it is I want, I want to just love on them. That actually costs something, Right? This person that you continually have maybe disagreements with or you, maybe you guys, or you, maybe you butt heads over and over and over again and this person, you just don't really like that much. What happens if like, you begin to do all these really, all these kind things to them out of just God's pure love for that person? That actually costs something, right? But love isn't love until it costs us something. And honestly, there, there's no greater demonstration than, than this right here. This is the ultimate demonstration of love. Romans 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is the ultimate picture of love.